before we go any further, I just learned that uh, Wayman is just not doing very well. He's, his foot is re- his healing, evidently, but a uh, uh, recent doctor's visit, uh, he has bronchitis and congestive heart failure. So that's not good. Uh, Wayman is not, not doing very well at all. And it's cer- certainly good to see Tom and especially Nellie back with us today. Uh, her foot is healing, but she has a doctor's appointment tomorrow to go back and check on that. Mary Kay Blue uh, continues to have issues. She's having those injections for her neck. And uh, in addition to that, she's developed uh, heart issues. So give Tom one of these. Excuse me. Charles. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Almighty God and Father, we come to you in prayer thanking you for life itself and all the good things you have given us and especially what you have promised us. As we study your word this morning, help us to understand it, help us to remember it, help us to present your word to those about us as we go about our daily lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. (coughs) Okay, is that better? I've uh, always been accused of uh, not speaking loud enough. I can't talk loud and think. Well, maybe I can't think anyway, but uh, I chose a topic this morning, uh, the end of the world, and uh, just quite honestly, the reason I did that, there seems to be a resurgence in the uh, religious realm of uh, this concept of the premillennial doctrine, uh, the concept of the rapture and the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. Uh, uh, It it just seems there's a resurgence of that in the world around us today. Back in February, you'll notice this paper is documented February, I was studying with a lady who who was attending a Bible study and... uh, I've talked to her about numerous things in that Bible study, and uh, one of them, uh, they were studying a book about the rapture and premillennialism and all the scriptures that support that doctrine. And uh, I, I told her, I promised her, I would give her something that would be the biblical concept of what those scriptures mean and the biblical concept of the rapture, and uh, the biblical concept of the end of the world, etc. So I put this paper together back in February. Uh, If you will, turn to page 4 of this this paper. And uh, by the way, I don't uh, claim to know everything about this subject, uh, but uh, uh, maybe... What, what is here uh, will be adequate explanation of what the Bible has to say about the subject. What about the rapture and the millennial reign of Christ? Uh, the whole concept of this false doctrine, and it is false to the core, and I, I don't mean to sound ugly when I say that, but it, it's just false to the core. It's just there's no truth to it. 
It's based on the premise that when Christ and 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 they'll they will reject this idea. By the way, the ones preaching this today, but it started out uh, back. Uh, I guess the 40s maybe, uh, that, that this, this doctrine was so prevalent. The basic premise, basic premise of the doctrine is that when Christ came to the earth the first time, when he was born of a virgin, and they'll admit all of that, uh, that his, uh, his goal in coming to earth was to establish an earthly kingdom. Since he was the lineage of Abraham and David, he was to sit on that throne in Jerusalem and reign from that throne an earthly kingdom. And that's what the Jews were looking for, an earthly kingdom. Well, they realized that that didn't happen. So they say that he did not succeed in his efforts to accomplish that mission. Therefore, there was a, an alternate plan that had to be put in place. That alternate plan would be for the church to be established and for Christians to be members of that church. And then later on, there will be a second coming. Uh, that uh, when that second coming happens, it will be a rapturous event where, you know, and you've, saw, you've all seen the, the bumper stickers, uh, when the rapture occurs, this car will be have no driver, you know. Uh, and uh, the the scriptures used to uh, uh, purport that false doctrine, we'll go through some of those. In addition to that, the Jews are still looking to occupy the land that was promised to Abraham, the promised land. They're still looking to have that as their their authoritative residence. Wow. And it gets deeper too, uh, way deeper. Uh, but those are the, th- those are the basic principles of how this thing came about. And it's all just made up by mankind. There's no biblical authority to any of those considerations. As a matter of fact, the Bible, uh, dis- clearly identifies that none of that is true. Uh, the, you know, one of the, uh, and, and consider this, you're aware that the end of World War II, which was in fact a world war, the Ottoman Empire, which was basically the whole Middle Eastern area, was divided up into countries. And the Jews were moved back to the land of Israel to a large degree. You know, they had been spread across the Asian or the European countries and a lot of them moved back to Israel. They were given that land uh, as a distribution of uh, land from the the, the uh, powers that won that war. And uh, the consideration that that was their promised land and that they hadn't received it yet was one of the reasons they were given that land at the end of World War II. Uh, You you know the doctrine probably as well as I do, and I don't mean to to uh, spend more time on the considerations of it. But uh, 
several things that we've got to look at when we deal with people who are teaching something in error is to go to the Bible to answer those things as opposed to, well, that's not true. Uh, and it's not. But so we go to the Bible and find scriptures that tell the truth about those subjects. Not that we're looking to expand upon our thoughts of what it should be, but to find out what the Bible says about it. You know, any time, and, and you know this, and I, I know I'm not telling you anything that you don't know, when you study a subject or a topic related to religion, Bible is the source of the answers for that topic and that question, whatever that question might be. But you can't go just to a single verse and develop a complete doctrine based on that single verse. You have to go to every verse in the Bible that talks about that topic to come to the conclusion of what the reality is about that topic. And, uh, and, and you know very clearly that one of the, the, uh, one of the major considerations is the topic of salvation. You can't go to a single verse about that subject and say, this is the only thing you've got to do to gain salvation. Uh, I know there are verses, and I forget what the terminology is. I've got it written down. When, when the Bible talks about, well, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him so whosoever believeth in him carries with it only that one idea, but it means all of the things related to that subject. It carries with it the concept of salvation and all the elements related to salvation, believing in him. Uh, and uh, one of the verses that... Uh, that, that always, uh, that there, there's many verses in the Bible that are just outstanding to me and very uh, prolific in their meaning. But when you talk about the word belief, what does, that, what does that really mean? In most cases, and in fact, I guess all cases, when it talks about it in, in well, John 3, 16, whoever, whoever believeth in him. Look back in uh, the book of Numbers, chapter 20, verses 11 and 12. And Moses lifted up, and well, back over here prior to that, where God told the children of Israel were out in the wilderness and they wanted water. They were getting thirsty. They were going to, start, you know, they, they were going to die because they didn't have any water. And the Lord spake unto Moses, starting in verse 7. Take the rod and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water. And thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So thou shalt give the congregation their beasts drink. So God told Moses to speak to the rock. And keep on going down into verse 11. Well, Moses got angry with the people. And Moses, verse 10, Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation before the rock, and he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? 
there was a previous instance where he actually did that. He spoke to the rock and it came forth water. And he's, he's angry with the people now because they were griping about having no water. Uh, you rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, verse 11, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beast also. So God told him to speak to the rock. He was angry with the people, and he hit that rock twice with his rod. Water came out. God provided water to the people. But look what happened in verse 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because you believed me not. He didn't say, because you did not obey me, but what he meant was, because you believed me not, meaning you didn't obey what I said. Sanctify me, and to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. So the reason Moses and Aaron didn't go into the promised land is that event. They disobeyed God, and God said, you didn't believe me. So when we read about the word believe in the New Testament, it doesn't mean just rationally understand, yeah, I believe that. It means whatever it says to do, you obey that and do it. So anyway, when you're talking about a topic, you go to everything it says about that topic to come to a conclusion about the meaning of that that topic in religion. Okay, um, with this in mind, there are many scriptures which disagree with the false doctrine of the rapture and millennial reign of Christ on the earth, and a few of them are here. And uh, one of the things they're looking for is for the Jews to regain, to, to be given the promised land that was promised to Abraham. That's part of the doctrine. But look at Joshua uh, it's actually in Joshua chapter 1, verse 2, but let me read Joshua 21, 43 through 45. And the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he sware unto their fathers, and they possessed it and dwelt therein. Duh. And it goes on to explain that even further. And the Lord gave them rest round about according to all that he sware unto their fathers. And there stood not a man of all their enemies before them. And the Lord delivered all of their enemies into their hand. Look at verse 45. There fell not aught of anything which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. He told you, I'm going to give you the land. All came to pass. I don't know how clearer it can be than that. But they don't accept that. You read this verse to them, and it's very frustrating dealing with people when uh, you say, well, concerning that consideration, this is what the Bible says. Well, it goes right over their head, and uh, they go on to something else about it. And, and I, I don't mean to sound ugly. I know I probably do, but it's, it's very frustrating. Exactly. Exactly. And of course, uh, you know, they say that when Christ came, he didn't accomplish his mission. Well, John seventeen four says, he finished the work which God gave him to do. 
I don't know how much clearer it can be than that. Yeah, you, you you try to put yourself into that environment and that that age and so forth, and uh, uh, it, it's difficult for me to do. But uh, yes, they didn't understand everything, and when they wrote the New Testament, uh, it wasn't them writing. The Holy Spirit was telling them what to write, even though they're using their intellect and language to do so. Uh, and sometimes they didn't understand what they were writing. Uh, I, I think that's the case. Uh, but uh, uh, so I, I guess it's no wonder that we're uh, we, we have people confused today about uh, about doctrinal elements relative to the Bible. Yes, yeah. He he didn't want to. <laughs> he said, "No, nah, I'm not going to do that." God said, "Hey, don't say you're not going to do what I'm telling you to do." Uh, part of this consideration is that there was more than one resurrection in in the in the future of uh, mankind. John five twenty eight and twenty nine clearly says uh, that all who are in the graves will hear His voice and will rise. All one. Hebrews 5, I, verse 19, I think it is, says, uh, uh, it is appointed a man wants to die, and after this, the judgment. One, one time, the judgment. Uh, and along that line, uh, is it coming to mind that uh, you're, you're aware that uh, there is a false doctrine uh, among uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, and matter of fact, it's been preached at this building. Uh, I was shocked by it, but it has been. That uh, the doctrine is that uh, we can, we're not going to finish all of this, but let me go into this one. You know, we understand that uh, when we die, our spiritual soul goes to the Hadean realm. You know, one of those categories, either the uh, the paradise section or the Tartarus section. And then uh, we'll reside there until the day of judgment, the resurrection, the day of the Lord, the end of the world. Well, there is a thought that that used to be the case. That used to be the case. Uh, but after Christ died and the church began, when Christians die now, they go straight to heaven. That's being taught in some of the churches of, the, of Christ. Uh, so the, the plan was changed when, uh, after the church was established, and Christians now go straight to heaven when we die. That is not true. Uh, uh, there's nowhere in the Bible that says that plan had been changed. You know, Luke 16 tells us about the rich man and Lazarus, and that explains in fine detail that upon death, the spirit returns unto God who gave it, and uh, their soul goes to uh, 
the resting place of souls, which is the Hadean realm. And that's where Christ went. Christ went to paradise. Uh, and uh, even, uh, uh, even Paul, when he said, I know a man about 14 years who's talking about himself, whether uh, in the spirit or not, I know not, but I went to the third heaven. And the second next verse said, and in paradise, I saw these things. So the third heaven is the paradise uh, section of the Hadean realm. Um, <clears throat> anyway, they use Matthew chapter 24, and you know this uh, uh, very well, where it talks about all of the signs leading up to destruction and, you know, wars and rumors of wars and uh, earthquakes and famines and pestilences, etc. And uh, it, it's, it's very clear if you read that, what it really means, and I won't go into that in detail, but I'll just read verse 34. After it says all of those things will happen. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. It's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. And again, that's been preached many times uh, from pulpits here at this building, and you know that. But uh, that, that goes right over the head of these folks that, uh, that think, all of these signs leading up to the end of the world, you know, it says, clearly says that there in Matthew 24. It's got to be near because all of these signs are present as we live today. And we say, well, uh, that, that's just not the case. That was talking about a specific time and a specific destruction of the, of the Jewish empire and Jewish people. And they talk about, uh, you know, establishing the physical kingdom where Christ would sit on David's throne. And John eighteen thirty six clearly says, when Christ was speaking, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my, would my servants fight? Uh, but it's clearly a spiritual kingdom. Uh, and we know that uh, the church and the, the kingdom are one and the same. We've been translated out of the darkness of this world into the light of the kingdom of God. So, uh, And they say that Christ will come back and establish his kingdom there and uh, uh, reign for a thousand years. Well, the book of Revelation... Uh, you know, if, if you're like me, there are things in it that's difficult to understand. Uh, I, don't, I don't disregard that. But uh, it's very clear. If you look at the book of Revelation, the very first three verses of the book says, I'm going to, uh, the angel's telling John things that will shortly come to pass. I'm going to tell you this stuff that will shortly come to pass. And... Uh, that uh, this, what I'm going to tell you will be in significant or signifying terms, meaning that will be allegorical to a large degree. They will signify in these terms of something that will happen in reality, but these things are not reality. It's just identifying things that will happen. Uh, and uh, over in verse... Uh, uh, well shortly come to pass the time is at hand verses 1 through 3 
you know, that was 2,000 years ago. I know that time uh, is not, uh, uh, does not mean the same thing to God that it means to us. I mean, uh, if you consider that God lives in the spiritual realm of eternity, and uh, if you're like me, and I hope you're not, uh, I can't comprehend that. Uh, I try to. What will the spiritual realm be like? What will it be like? We're going to go there. We're going to go there. Our souls that occupy this body will exist forever. When we leave this empirical realm that we know so much about and love so much and hold on to so much, we'll no longer be where we live. We'll live in the spiritual realm. What what will the spiritual realm be like? Is it? Well, it, will it be shadows of things, images that are not there that you can put your hand through? Uh, will it, uh, will in that spiritual realm where God or where Jesus has gone to, to build a home for us, a place for us to live, will it have uh, grass and roads and trees and flowers and uh, mountains and... and <laughs> yes. And part of the lesson of the sermon today will talk about God and heaven and the spiritual realm, and it'll have a lot of questions too. <laughs> uh, but uh, the book of Revelation is is not talking about things that will happen in our future. It was talking about things that would happen in the future of those at the time it was written, which was about A.D. 95, the best that scholars can determine that it was written. Um, the spiritual kingdom exists today, as you know. It began on the day of Pentecost uh, when Peter preached that first sermon. You know, God, Jesus told him, I'm going to give you, Peter, the keys to the kingdom. Uh, and, of course, the keys to the kingdom is the gospel. It's simply that. And Peter is the one who spoke the first uh, uh, gospel sermon. Um, and uh, this is my idea, and I, I'm, not, I'm not dogmatic on this point, but... Look at what it says. I believe when the Bible says something, that's exactly what it means. When it's not in allegorical terms or when it's not in symbolic terms, I mean, it, it's, it, it means what it says. And uh, I worked in a profession for 44 years that uh, things were totally black and white. There was no shades of gray. When you wrote a computer program, that's what the computer did, period. It wouldn't do something else. It would break before it did something else. Uh, so when uh, when God says something, he's told us that his word is truth. When he says something, and I, I can't stress this too much, his word is 
sanctum through that, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Anything he says is absolute, unwavering, unchanging truth. And I try to use that concept when I try to understand anything that it says about a subject or anything. And look at what it says. On uh, the day of Pentecost, when uh, the apostles were there and the Holy Ghost had occupied their being and they were able to speak in tongues, which means that they could speak a language that they never studied or knew, a language that was understood by people there. People from all over the world were there at that point. Cretes and Arabians, etc. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God in verse 11, Acts chapter 2. Um, and they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying this, uh, one, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. Okay, look at verse 14. Verse 14 of Acts chapter 2. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, we got the twelve apostles there. They were all standing up, and Peter was there, and he stepped forward because he had the keys. He had the keys to the kingdom, and he was about to unleash those keys upon the people, the gospel truth of Christ. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, this and hearken to my words. Who was speaking when this sermon was about to be preached? Peter was speaking. He was speaking to a mass of people from all over that understood various languages. How many languages was Peter speaking when he spoke to that mass of people that had some number of different understandings of of the language? Exactly. Well, and and the reason I'm saying this is I have heard it more than once say that, well, Peter was speaking in a language and all these other apostles are going around telling people what he was saying. Well, that's not what it says. It didn't it doesn't say that. And you say, well, Peter was speaking and the word was going out to this mob of people. This one was a miraculous event. Was the miraculous event being on those people that heard it or was it being on Peter? I don't think it was on the people that heard it. I think it was on Peter speaking. And when he spoke, he spoke one phrase and it went to the hearer directionally to the hearer of the language that they could understand. So they understood in their language what he was saying. Um, I I know people disagree with me about that. uh, But hey, Peter standing up with eleven lifted up his voice and said unto them. It's not talking about all the other apostles talking about it. It was talking about Peter was the one speaking. I think that's a, 
uh, of course, God performed many miracles, and the apostles were able to perform miracles through the Holy Spirit. And I think this is this is a fantastic one. I think uh, that happened at that time. And uh, of course, it goes on, uh, you know, several verses down to when Peter said unto them, verse thirty-eight. They asked Peter, and he heard whatever they said. He could understand their language. And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. So it was Peter that was doing the speaking. He was using those keys. To Those those were all Jews that were there. There were no Gentiles in that audience that we know of. It was all Jews. And, of course, later on in Acts chapter 10, Peter used the keys again with Cornelius uh, to... Uh, spread the gospel and make the Christian life available to uh, Gentiles. And we're glad he did. Do you think that it was Peter's voice, or was it the Holy Spirit inspired Peter, or was it just the Holy Spirit actually speaking through Peter? Well, I don't know um, that you could distinguish the difference. Uh, Peter knew what he was saying. But these men, uh, as a matter of fact, it's, I don't remember the verse, but over in Acts, is when you go out, don't think about what you're going to say. I'll tell you what you're going to say. And, of course, the Holy Spirit was involved in this particular instance. Uh, and how that came about, I, I, I just don't know. Uh, I don't know. But uh, we do know that the Holy Spirit occupied those apostles at that time. Uh, and... Uh, They didn't have to. They didn't have to think about what they were saying because they were going to be told what they were going to say. Yeah, yeah. Okay, real quickly, back to page one. Uh, anyway, the concept of the uh, of the rapture, uh, and and by the way. Uh, I'm not opposed to using the term rapture when uh, the second coming occurs. The word rapture means joyous event. Not that I'm aware of. Um, Not that I'm aware of. Uh, But how joyous will that be when Christ does come back for the second time? I mean, that, that's why we're here. <laughs> that's why we're here. That's why we're in this audience. That's why we're talking about God and uh, the apostles and what God is wanting us to do so that we can gain uh, heaven with him. Uh, that uh, You know, I, I don't look forward to that as much as I should. Uh, I won't put you in my shoes, but I don't look forward to that as much as I should. I think about the day-to-day stuff that uh, we deal with and our lives as we deal with uh, the elements around us and uh, don't remember that, hey, this is temporary. This is temporary. We're only here for a short period of time. And, of course, time will disappear too. There's no such thing as time in the realm of eternity. Uh, But anyway, uh, when we talk about the end of the world, and uh, you can can read this at your convenience if you want to read it, the day of the Lord, the day of God, the end, the end of the world, the coming of the Lord, the hour is coming, the coming of the Son of Man, the day of judgment, uh, 
the Son of Man shall come, all refer to the last day, that last day of earthly existence or the empirical realm of existence when Christ will return and, uh, and all these things will happen. And you already know uh, that the Bible talks about heaven or heavens, which uh, you've got to read the context of what it's saying there to, to, in order to know which heaven it's talking about. And this explains uh, there are actually four heavens. Uh, the air we breathe, uh, the atmosphere of the earth, the physical expanse of the universe. The third heaven is the paradise realm. And the fourth heaven is the ultimate heaven where God lives. And uh, that's the one that uh, we will uh, be going to if, in fact, we're pleasing to God. The fourth heaven, the, the ultimate heaven in the spiritual realm. Uh, comparing what the Bible says to the... Uh, false doctrine of premillennialism. Pre, of course, means prior to the thousand-year reign. Pre is the uh, the rapturous event for seven years that the, the saved will go to heaven and at the end of the seven years they'll come back and they'll, with all the Christians and uh, the battle of Armageddon will happen and the Christians will fight the bad people and all the Christians will win and the blood in Israel will be up high as the horse's nostrils and the uh, then all the bad people will be gone and uh, Christ will set up his kingdom on earth and then live there for a thousand years. And at the end of the thousand years, uh, the earth will be done away with and everybody will go to heaven. The dead people, or the bad people are already gone to hell. So uh, that's that's the false doctrine of premillennialism and the rapturous uh, stuff. Uh, and, and there are different flavors of that depending on which book you read and which person is writing this false doctrine there, there are different details about some of that well yeah it, 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 but it, but that's basically what most of them the, the general concept of what it is and, uh, I'll just I'll read just a couple of these since we won't have time to, to read all of them. Second Peter three ten through thirteen. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth all shall and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Uh, it ain't gonna be seven years later. It's not going to be a thousand years later. Uh, it's going to be right now when uh, when the Lord comes. The earth will be burned up, and all that's in them is. And so far as I know, the complete universe. Will will disappear, a physical realm. And uh, when you think about that, and you think about uh, what we know about the expanse of the universe, it's no small thing. We don't know the size of it. Uh, we know that uh, some galaxies have billions of stars, and of course, those billions of stars have billions of planets surrounding them, and then there are billions of galaxies, and it, the, the numbers are just amazing. Uh, when will the world come to an end? Uh, Matthew twenty four thirty five through 39 says, we don't know. Nobody knows except God. We don't know when it's going to happen. There will be no signs coming to it. Matthew twenty four thirty five through 39 also says that. No signs. All these signs that we're told in Matthew 24, 1 through 33 
were for specifically the destruction of Jerusalem as opposed to the future of our lives today. That was over 2,000 years ago. What will happen when the day of the Lord arrives? The dead will be raised. Uh, the faithful will meet him in the air. And uh, there's only one resurrection. Uh, John chapter 5, verse 28 29 tells us that. All that are in the graves will hear his voice and rise. All. Uh, whether they were uh, faithful or not. There seems to be, uh, and of course, uh, when all of that happens, the earth and all of it in will be burned up. Uh, then the judgment will occur. And let me uh, just real quickly, one last point. Uh, look at John chapter 5. And uh, I don't mind telling you that uh, I've, uh, there, there's some words and subjects that, uh, that just totally intrigue me. And uh, uh, one of them is, is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the Word came fresh, drove to mind. Why is that terminology used, the Word, prior to the earth being established? Uh, one of them is the Word. The other is the Son of Man. Uh, the Son of Man always refers to the only one of them, Son of Man, which is the Christ. But look in John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Look over also in 1 John chapter 5 that ties in with this. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 through 13. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. The good will be resurrected unto life, the bad under the resurrection of damnation. Will those bad ever have life again? And this says no. This says no. That don't mean they won't have consciousness. That don't mean they don't exist. But what life entails is far beyond what I comprehend it to be, I think. We will have life eternal, life. Uh, John chapter 5, verses 26, 27. God had life and he gave life unto his son to have life within himself. And the son, of course, gives us life through the spirit. But the ones that are resurrected that are evil will not have life according to what this says. Now, I know that uh, that's... That's that's for me hard to comprehend, but uh, that's what it says. Resurrected unto eternal life, or resurrected unto damnation. It don't say life. It says damnation. Again, that doesn't mean they won't have consciousness, and knowledge, and knowing, and remembrance, and memories. They'll still be there. Okay. Thank you for being patient.